Welcome to Your Creative Chords podcast. I'm Jenny Lee Hodgins. Your Creative Chord offers working strategies for effective piano practice, tapping your creativity, caregiver, and spiritual wellness. Join Your Creative Chords community to get my latest content, products, and courses at yourcreativechord.com forward slash sign up here. Chord is spelled C-H-O-R-D. Yourcreativechord.com forward slash sign up here. Today's creativity episode features part one of my interview with University of Kentucky Department of Landscape Architecture Associate Professor Ryan Hargrove. Here we go. Hi, Ryan. It's Jenny. Hey, Jenny. I understand you provide intensive hands-on experiences for first-generation college students in creative thinking through a variety of projects, trips, interviews with professional creatives, and a class at the University of Kentucky called Living on the Right Side of the Brain. Please elaborate for my audience on your qualifications as an expert on creativity and tell me your story about how you got involved in providing creativity explorations and in the story, tell me what was pivotal for the opening of your professional path or your interest in creativity as a specialty. That's a big question. (laughs) We'll we'll see if we can work our way through this. Um, (laughs) Yes, I do teach a first first year course at UOK as part of their UOK core which is uh, UOK's version of their general requirement courses at the university. Um, uh, the course originally was not part of the core. Um, when I came to UOK now 11 years ago, wow. um, my research interest was in creative thinking, specifically how to develop creative thinking in students. And um, I was fortunate enough when I arrived at UOK, they gave me some they gave me the ability to create a course or design a course on my own and teach it um, first within our department. Um, so I developed a course that was primarily designed students starting out. And um, again, it was based on my research, which is which is grounded in, um, you know, uh, allowing students or, or fostering students ability to think creatively. So, again, starting out mostly designed students. Um, various years and disciplines and uh, the the course was really popular and well received and about that time the university was going through a transition um, from what what they used to call gen ed to now the UK core and the UK core included a a requirement of arts and creativity so they asked if I would pilot a course in arts and creativity and I agreed to do so knowing that it would probably expand in numbers, but also would provide me the opportunity to be a little more interdisciplinary, mm-hmm. which I thought could be really interesting. Um, so I, I re-pulled the class knowing that, um, you know, rather than 25 students, I'm now going to have 80, mm-hmm. sometimes 85 students in a class and tried to maintain, you know, the essence of the course, which was, you know, first understanding how we think creatively, but also, um, engaging students in these hands-on act- activities, really quick iterations where they're learning about a creative strategy, but then they're actually practicing it. And then finally, they're reflecting on their use of that strategy mm-hmm. so they can then, you know, fold that into future problem states. So um, the way it's set up, you know, typically on Monday, we'll, we'll talk about a, a particular creative strategy that is used, whether that's brainstorming or storyboarding or mind mapping, whatever it may be. And then on Wednesday, we'll model that. Um, sometimes we'll bring in a local or regional professional and they'll talk about how they use that in their own profession um, or their own work. And then on Friday, I'll 
give students an opportunity or challenge them to use that strategy on their own in these quick iterative exercises. So by the end of the semester, you know, they've gone through 15, 16, 17 of these um, and they have a little bit of a toolkit to use when they when they're engaging creative problems. Now, having said that, the really the framework of the class is based on metacognition. So thinking about how you think um, for an 18 year old is a bit, you know, you, you tell them we're going to talk about metacognition and they look at you kind of <laughs> like blank stare, but uh, it, really boiling it down to them and asking them to, while they're solving problems, while they're thinking creatively about problems, pause and, and really carefully ask themselves, how am I thinking about this? What am I considering? What am I doing well? What am I not doing well? How could I possibly change in future, you know, iterations of this? So, um, the, the surprising thing is when you, when you get these 18 year olds in your class as freshmen, freshmen in, in university and you, you ask them, tell me how you think about a creative problem. You know, maybe one or 2% of them can answer that question. Mm. <laughs> they've, they've never really been asked yeah. to externalize that or even right. think about that. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of shocking, but on the other hand, on another way it's not. Um, and then a lot of them who will answer you are giving you some version of something they've read or right. been told how to think about how to think creatively, not necessarily what aligns with their actions. And not of their own volition, even just regurgitating from Correct. something they've read. Yeah. Correct. So really getting beyond that answer and, and having them have a and a really keen awareness and understanding of how they think for good and bad. Um, not within it with, without judgment, just understanding that in order to improve, you have to have a really strong foundation of understanding. So you know where you're going. Um, wonderful. And we, and we do that several ways, um, throughout the semester. And we really ask students to, to be very, um, cognizant of, of how they're thinking and challenging. We do small groups and then we ask them at the end of the semester to create this, this design kind of manifesto. We call it a design thought motto where they create a physical artifact that represents how they think. Um, so those are really interesting. And, you know, some people, we all think and express our ideas differently. So for some people, you know, verbalizing that is easier for them. For some people, writing about it is easier. But for a lot of creatives, building an artifact or something physical is, easy, is their easiest and most thoughtful way of expression. So by allowing them to create some representation of that, I think for some of the students anyway, um, it, it, opens up, it opens up their mind to be able to really think and express that clearly. Is all of your focus on when looking at metacognition or, or looking with the students at how they're thinking creatively, is it aimed directly at a specific major such as design specifically or you know, like as opposed to the music department or the fine arts department or the, or, you know, actors or performing artists, is it, does, is it designated to go a, a specific way in through the college of Ag agriculture or design? No. And it's, it's, that's purposeful. Um, in my mind to be, to be blunt, um, whatever creative problem we're solving is of very little importance. It's more about the navigation and negotiation of that problem. Nice. It. So I, it doesn't matter to me if we're trying to figure out a parking situation on campus or we're trying to solve the opioid crisis in Kentucky. That That's of no consequence to me. I mean, what you really need is just some multifaceted, complex problem that allows people to enter into a, 
a state of uncertainty where there's not not one right answer, mm. uh, where there's a lot of ambiguity and there's some um, there's a, just uh, just rife with complexity. So they have to consider things and not and 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 overcome you know the fear of failure, the, the the unknown, and enter into that state. That's what's most important. You know, um, for many of them, they're just they're just now being asked to practice this. So they're mm-hmm. very they're I would consider it at a very novice level of thinking this way. Mm-hmm. And for some, it's in direct opposition of what they've been taught how to think about problems. You know, if you think about most kids' K twelve experience, it's it's one right answer. It's following. Right. Steps, it's look in the back of the book and check your work. Right. It it so <laughs> you have. To me, just getting them comfortable with that new way of thinking, especially for the first semester experience, that's what's most important. So, yes, to get back to your original question, it's it's very non-specific, non-disciplinary approach. That's amazing. And what uh, going back to that question, what was pivotal for you, you know, to open this path or your interest in creativity? How did you get to this position? What led you here? personally. Whoa, that's a, that's a long story, but, uh, you know, um, I think I've, I've been, I've thought about this a lot and I've given talks on this, but I think, you know, my childhood, my mom was an art teacher, Mm. um, and my dad was a tight shop. So I was kind of, I was kind of raised with these, these two different approaches. How to my mom was always encouraging me to, you know, to stop and notice things differently, to look with fresh eyes, to see things um, in a new light, you know, to open my open possibilities. And my dad was always asking me, you know, ask why and how and, and, mm. and, and ask the questions beyond the surface. Wow, so, good training. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was always had this kind of yin and yang of, of that perspective. And I, I, I would always search for it. I always did pretty good at school, but I never really had, you know, you, some kids grow up in high school and they know they want to be a doctor or a teacher. Or, right. And I never really had found something that really resonated with me. Um, so I went to UK, kind of unknown of what I wanted to do. My parents were very willing to let me use my first year to kind of figure things out. Um, and um, it turns out I was on the 16th floor of Kerwin Tower in UK. And one of my kids on my floor was an art major. And on Fridays, I would go over to the um, to the Reynolds building, mm-hmm. which is on campus. And I would pick him up after, you know, like his studio work. And we would just mm-hmm. hang out. And one Friday I was over there and the, uh, the landscape architecture group was joining his group to do a figure drawing class. And I just happened to, to join them and, uh, struck up a conversation. And, um, you know, when I first heard about landscape architecture, it was like landscaping, you know, is that's what I did, you know, for extra money in oh, high school. Oh. And, and they were like, no, no, you really, that's not really what landscape architecture is, <laughs> but it is being this really unique unison of this the part of my brain that really sought creativity and design and creating things unique or new or problem solving and the other part of my brain that really appreciated science and reason Mm. and it was this unique marriage of the two um which was really fortunate for me but anyway that that launched me into you know this path of design education where i went through undergrad and grad school um, acquiring degrees in design and then um, went on and got my PhD and studied specifically, um, you know, design thinking and creativity. And the re- how I came about studying that was actually um, I went to North Carolina State 
in Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I didn't really know arriving what I wanted to study. Um, I, I really had in grad school become passionate about teaching because that's mm-hmm. one way I helped pay for my school was through assistantships mm-hmm. and teaching mm-hmm. studios um, as a grad assistant. So um, when I got to NC State, um, it just so happened that the College of Design there right across the street is the College of Education. <laughs> I kind of wandered over there one day and um, was looking into some of the people that worked in the building and the courses they taught. And um, if, uh, I guess was, everyone's familiar, but the, a lot of the research and, and work over there was on developing how we think and how we learn and how we process information and how to how to best teach others. And then I looked right across the street at the College of Design um, and it was about how we think creatively and solve problems. And these two, these two buildings were like 300 wow. feet apart and they weren't talking to each other wow. at all. You know, it's like the, the road was like this barrier between them. Um, and they each had so much to offer one right. another, right. you know, like over in the college of education, there were these posters on the wall, like design thinking the next thing, 21st century. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, they've been doing that across the street for a hundred years. Um, <laughs> and then and the same thing with the College of Design. It's like you have instructors over there who assume that being a good designer makes you a good teacher. But oh, that's not right. That's not <laughs> right. It's like, well, the people across the street are like they study this and they understand how to develop yourself as a good teacher and how students learn differently and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, well, I think I need to find some common ground here between these two. And it ended up being the uh, the area of metacognition because to me, as I dove deeper and deeper into creativity um, and how specifically how to develop creativity and foster creativity, it was I found it was much more than just developing a skill set. You know, it was a, it was a, an approach to the way we see and experience the world. Um, um, so yes, I think there are some innate skills you can have that can prepare you to solve things creatively. But um, I think it's so much deeper than that. It's almost we all have to have our own creative approach, and it's very fluid, and you're developing it constantly. And in order to do so, you have to be reflective, mm. and um, you have to be able to understand that you know, uh, reflection and action and developing and learning through our experiences and then folding that back into our ourselves as, as, as thinkers is really critical. So I kind of took the two pieces from each side of the street there and, and, and kind of meshed them together and created a research thread. So, and, and that became be, your dissertation or it became your whole, yes. your whole area of expertise, basically. In my dissertation, I studied an entire class in the incoming class in the college of design, 140 students. And I followed them through their entire time at NC state. And I, I get, I did these different inter, interventions with them <laughs> using different approaches to, to developing creativity. Obviously you have a control and a, and uh, a test group, and um, and you devised all of that for your dissertation. You created, yeah. Wow, I'm. Yes, yes. So they went through the series of these interventions. Um, some the traditional design of, you know, you go through your traditional design education, and some had the interventions with me, and um, just studying and monitoring what the impact of that would be long term. And of course, these interventions were grounded in this idea of metacognition. Um, so that that proved to be really um, enlightening by the end of that and learned quite a bit about, um, the impact of that. Um, so of course I'm going to bring that into my own teaching here at UK and, um, was fortunate enough again to have a class where I could really, um, 
continue to grow that. Mm, it sounds so vigorous. It sounds so, I bet those students are so excited when they come in and hear you speak about it because it's so uniquely different from what they've been used to, in, at least in public schools for the most part. Yes. I don't know about private school, but. Well, it, it is for some, but uh, you gotta, I will say this, I tell students all the time, like, I think there's a notion out there that creativity, you know, some people believe like some people are more, more innately right. creative than others. You're or either talented all- or you're not. Right. Think, yeah. These aha moments where like the sky opens up and the sun shines right. on you. Well, <laughs> the beam I mean, of light. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that never happens when you have like eureka moments, but every brilliantly creative person I know are are also the like the hardest working people. Right. They, it doesn't come easy to anybody. I mean, there's a reason why the creative problems have not been solved. They're really hard. Right. And they they require a lot of investment of thought and. Um, in order to to reach your creative potential, it, it's hard work. I mean, it's right. not you're you're fortunate to be creative. You also have to like yes, it does take a lot more mental effort that to really stop and reflect on how you're thinking and think carefully about that and and take the time to reflect. I mean, that's that is effort and uh, it's 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 breaking your default setting of just going through your habitual ways of doing things. You know, so right. yes. It does require a lot more investment in mental effort and thought, but the 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 pay on the back end is is, is absolutely worth it. Um, and if you can get students in a position where they can see that and experience that and get that buy in, yeah, I think it clicks for them for a lot of them anyway. Very very interesting and uh, completely opposite the, I guess the the general assumption that the creative person is just inspired and, you know, like you said, a, a light opens up and strikes them with this incredible right. inspiration. And, and I'm not discounting that that can't happen. Right. It does. Yeah. All the time. But generally um, what the creative person is, a lot, is able to do is to capture those in a unique way. And, and, and it's usually moments, a sequential periods of inspiration. It's not just one idea right. hits you. That's the solution. It's, it's pieces building on one another right. and be able to collect those together. You know, this this reminds me, I, I don't know if you've read that old book, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, but there, in, in that little book, he talks about, um, yeah, Henry Ford, w- when he was trying to yes. devise the, the eight, and I'm sorry, I know nothing about cars, but, but he was trying <laughs> to f- create this eight-part engine within one piece, and he went and told his you know, engineers create this and they were all like, this is not possible. This You can't put eight parts in this one section. It's not. And Henry Ford kept coming back to them and saying, you know, six months passed and he went back to those engineers and said, figure it out. I want eight in one piece. I want this engine to have, you know, eight, whatever it is. <laughs> and right. a year goes by and they're wrecking. And they had to do it because their job depended on figuring it out because he was their boss. And <laughs> so yeah. eventually they finally figured it out. And it, that really to me is like a, kind of encompasses what you're saying that, you know, when they finally put their heads together and they, they found this amazingly creative solution to come, you know, to fulfill Henry Ford's idea of this new engine, it took time and a lot of effort and a lot of, you know, banging around (laughs) trying to figure it out. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of failure and like learning through failure and and iterating over and over and over. Um, Of course, through experience, you become able to iterate quicker and and fail um fail safer i was going to ask that like when you i'm sorry to interrupt you but when students when you give them a a task or whatever a problem to sort through and they fail with something and i know you're expressing that a big part of this 
course or the approach to your course is to teach them to reflect how yes. how is there any part of that where you're teaching them how to respond to failures yes well uh, I, from the very beginning of the class um again this is a very non-traditional class i love that <laughs> uh, the majority of the class is based on their process and not their product so oh um, good take the burden off them wanting to get a you know, a lot of them are so worried about the grade. Right. Um, and tell me what I need to do to get a good grade. Right. And I just say, well, you know, your grade's going to be based on your ability to embrace this process and fail or succeed. I want to see your effort in the process. I really don't care as much on the back end of what you're creating. I want you to explore the process. So that's, again, that's very different. Yes. And some of them really strikes them as unsettling um, because there's not a... I can't tell them what to do to get the A. Like do A, B, and C, and you get an A. Right. Well, I'm, I'm just telling them just do, and you'll be all right. Yeah, um, that's that, hard for them to more, swallow, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, very much so. Very much so. And they, a lot of them, um, a lot of them, they don't like that um, that unclarity. The you ambiguity. Know, yeah, clarity. it would drive me nuts. I'm so black and white. <laughs> yes, but, but it is what it is. I mean, you can't. You have to put them in those uncertain situations, whether they like it or not. Um, right. That's when when you're in really creative problems. You know, it's it's just rife with that uncertainty. So if you have to learn to live in that ambiguity and that that space of mm -hmm. uncertainty, and you have no one's going to be like perfectly comfortable there, but you have to you have to be comfortable enough to where you can live there during this problem state. Because um, a lot of people want to escape that space. They want to run to certainty. Right. But in running to certainty, they're leaving the space where all the interesting things happen. Um, and that they're leaving it to a, probably a solution that could have been solved by 99% of the people, you know? So are you willing to stay in that space as uncomfortable as it may be knowing that that's where, like that's where those interesting intersections are going to happen. So you're saying in a way that by learning to live with the uncomfortable feeling of ambiguity and sticking with it, they they are led to being inspired creatively to find better solutions versus yeah. leaving and going into the certainty of, I know how to do yeah. that. <laughs> yes. And I'm saying if they're willing to do that in the class, I'll give them, I'll give them a good grade because I really don't care what their grade is. But if, if they're willing to try, yeah. that's all I care about. <laughs> and that for some of them, it's like some are like, okay, cool. And other ones are like, it's hard for oh, them. Yeah, that's that's not definable for me. You know, what is and they want exactly like, can I right. will you give me will you give me a rubric? Give me the syllabus uh, with all the yeah, yeah. details. <laughs> yeah. And because that's the way they've experienced right um, achievement throughout their life. Um, Very and, clear cut, yeah. Yeah, it's it's at some point that you know, it, and I'm not saying every freshman in the class is able to to make break down that barrier in one semester, but at least they've tried. Do you feel that by the end of a semester? The majority, I mean, can you can you kind of guesstimate percentage-wise how many students feel? I mean, can you can you sense their feeling of, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, confidence or um, accomplishment mm -hmm. versus sure. not feeling well about the the class in the end? Yeah, I think I think most of them are willing to try and even acknowledge that this was uncomfortable for me, but I can see I can at least acknowledge that this has some traction. You know, mm. I mean, they've been, what are they, they've been in school, what, uh, 13, 14 years at that point doing it one way. Right. So it's kind of crazy to expect them in a few, 
16 weeks to be able to say, oh, this is better. I'll, I mean, some, some are already programmed to where they have a certain openness about them, where they're willing to jump into the unknown and, and they're, they're fine with that. And others are fairly creative um, coming in. So they've already, they've already adopted some of these practices. And others on the other end of the spectrum, it, maybe it's a victory that they just tried. Yeah. It shouldn't be I'm taking a course on creativity and that's when I'm creative. It should be, okay, I'm learning an approach to right. how I think and solve right. problems. For everything. Yeah. How, can I, how can I live like this? Right. How do I interconnect all of this? I, I can see somebody taking that course and wanting it to continue to the next, throughout the whole college experience, really, right. because you could approach right. your whole college and experience that way. You know, having yep. that as your kind of blueprint to guide you through, it's just such a an innovative way in contrast to the way our educational system is really set up. I love it. It's amazing. I was just going to say, you know, um, and I think, you know, that reinforcement of that, I tell a lot of my design students I teach in studio, when you, honestly, when you commit to being a creative individual, it's, it's not something that you're like turning on or off. It's really adopting a way of, of seeing and experiencing the world. So a lot of my, you know, your inspiration comes in moments you least expect. So it could be, you know, at the, at the park or, uh, you know, on a walk or just any time. So you have to be open for those, um, those moments to happen of inspiration and you have to know how to, you know, process that and tie them into other, whatever problems you may be thinking about or, or kind of put them away for other, a new situation in the future. But my point is that, you know, it's not something that you use during a class or even your time at school. It's it's like a way of life. Right, right. So I'd, I say I would say a very small percentage of students fully adopt that in their freshman year of yeah, college. Yeah, it's so new and to them, first of all, and they've, they're only getting one semester to practice it so far. Correct. One semester and one course, yes. But I, I have a feeling just like, you know, in elementary school, I still remember my favorite teacher and how much that teacher impacted my life. I'm sure that they're feeling that way about you as they're going forward. You, you know, I hope so. so. No, I'd like to think so for some of them anyway. Yeah, I want to take that class. <laughs> <laughs> Describe what is your one of one of your favorite aspects of your job. What do you like about it? This one's an easy one for mm -hmm. me. So um both of my parents, as I mentioned, were were, were teachers. Um if you would have told me when I was 18, I would be a teacher. I would have laughed on the, you know, rolled <laughs> on the floor and laughed. Um, but the, the more I grew and experienced interacting with others and, and what, you know, collaborating with students at different levels, um, it, it was clear to me that was kind of my calling. Um, the reason I teach, it's certainly not for the money or, or any of the <laughs> accolades or, or it's actually just the interactions with people. Um, that's, That's nice. why I, I love, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I wake up every day and I love going to work. I love teaching and working with students um, and, and also with my colleagues. But um, yeah, it's those interactions with students and not disciplinary specific things. Just, you know, I get students in, in, in my studio class, I teach the first studio and then I get them three or four years later in a different course. And I, the interactions between those and watching them grow and experience life and whether it's growing creatively or whatever, whatever path they may pursue in their life. It's just, it's very rewarding for me to have that kind of a touch point. You know, yeah. I teach these really intense studios with students where I'm probably spending more time with them in the week than they are their family or friends, right. you know, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one to five o'clock in studio and then times 
a lot of times beyond that. So, um, I really do cherish that, um, that relationship with students in a real like meaningful way. So it's not me standing in front of the classroom and for an hour lecturing to them. It's me sitting at their desk and discussing a project or a problem that they're having in or inside or outside of school. You know, um, it's, it's just that touch point for students as a mentor and, um, as someone they can confide in and, and, and work with. I wouldn't say, um, you know, I really, I really think of education as a way of working in parallel with students and allowing them to reach their potential by offering advice and modeling for them, not telling them. Right, you know? right. So, um, well, that's, that that's true teaching. That's leading and, and leading them to think for themselves. And right. it sounds very much like you your teaching is your purpose. You've really found that purpose in your life. I really have. I really have. And again, I'm so fortunate. Um, Funny how life works out. You know, I'm so fortunate. Um, These events unfolded in my life where I had the opportunity to realize that and then um, pursue that as a livelihood. So I'm I'm very lucky in that way. It's so great to hear things like that because they need teachers that really care like that. Um, so it's really wonderful to have, and I'm sure that the students feed off of that. And the, and it's a mutual feeling that I, as much as you're enjoying being with them, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're really getting a lot out of that and, and feeling it's something to find a mentor when you're young, to find someone that cares enough to lead you by helping you, you know, think for yourself and learn for yourself and trust yourself. And thank you for what you're doing for students. That's a huge, huge thing. Well, well, thank you for saying that. But, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough in my life, you know, to have really, really strong role models and mentors in my, not only my parents, but every along the entire path of my education. So that's wonderful. You know, uh, fortunate. I think the least that I could do is to provide that for someone else. So thank you for it. Thanks for joining your Creative Chords podcast. Stay tuned for part two of this interview with University of Kentucky Department of Landscape Architecture Associate Professor Ryan Hargrove. In part two, we delve more deeply into strategies and benefits of tapping your creative process. I'm Jenny Lee Hodgins. Please feel free to share this podcast with others who may benefit from this info. Get more inspiring strategies for piano progress, exploring creativity, caregiver, and spiritual wellness when you join my mailing list at yourcreativecord.com forward slash sign up here. That's C-H-O-R-D, yourcreativecord.com forward slash sign up here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts in the comments below this podcast link. You can also find your Creative Chord on Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for joining me. Have a great creative day.